mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We've been spending a little time here. I really... Um, want to continue to spend a little time. We're not going to finish it up today. We're going to be beginning in verse uh, 28. But by way of reminder, we're in the Passover week. Jesus has come in as the Lamb of God on Palm Sunday, the tent in the sun. Now He's being inspected. He's being questioned. He's being, they're, they're, they don't even know that they are inspecting him. They don't know that they're questioning him for the reasons that God has behind it because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it corresponds with Exodus 12, the Passover festival. So now they are examining him. Are questioning him, and, and, and they keep coming to him in different spurts. And you've seen the Herodians, the Pharisees together. You've seen the Sadducees last week. Um, this week it will be the scribes. Matthew says scribes and Pharisees together. So we know that they're joining together. They're trying to question him. They're trying to find fault with him. They're trying to get him to trip himself up. They're trying to find a reason that they can actually crucify him. They want to kill him. That's their intentions. Listen to me. Don't be pharisaical in your heart. Don't be sagacitical, if that's a word, in your heart. I've never said that. Don't be Herodian. Don't be like a scribe. Don't be your own selfish flesh looking for a way to kill the Word of God in your life. Listen to me. It's a very interesting thing because that's what we do. How close can I get to the edge without killing the Word of God? How much can I do, Lord, you're supposed to be drawing near with a pure heart. You're supposed to be drawing near looking to obey. Drawing near letting the Holy Spirit sanctify and cleanse you. Don't be like these that come to Jesus for all the wrong reasons so that you can go on in your sin, go on in your life, go on in your own conceits and desires and change the Word of God to fit your lifestyle. In fact, he tells them in our last text, when the um, Sadducees come to him with this le leveret marriage, pretending like they believe in resurrection, he told them they were in error. And then when we closed last week, what did he say to them? You do greatly err. You're greatly mistaken. Because God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When you die absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus got out of the grave. Our God lives. That's something we need to understand. And so since He lives and we belong to Him, we should be alive. We should be living. No longer chasing death. No longer chasing self. But learning to be like the very life that was given for us. So he tells them they're greatly mistaken. They don't know scriptures, nor the power of God. And so we're going to do a little bit of learning scriptures today. Just a little bit more of scriptures. And that's what is so important in our life is to grow in that love relationship with God. As you learn the scriptures, as you learn the truth, as you learn the word of God, you're learning the heart of God and you're building a relationship with God. But in your own heart, you should be learning to obey more and more every day. That's how sanctification works. So let's look at verse 28. Let's get started on our text for today. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first commandment, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Set at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son and the common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feast, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we desire to draw near to you with a pure heart. We desire to hear from you. Speak to us clearly. Help us to understand what you would say to the church today. Sanctify us and cleanse us with the washing of the water through the word. Help us to receive with meekness the implanted word for the continued saving of the soul. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, 
Now the scribes, verse 28, then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now notice Matthew did say in the parallel text, um, Matthew says scribes and Pharisees came. Now a scribe is really, when you look it up, it means a writer or a secretary. Uh, and, and, and they're known to be the experts in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Matthew calls him a lawyer. So they're experts really in the scriptures. Not, not, not a lawyer like we would see today that would defend you in court, but a lawyer who would teach you what the Old Testament was saying, what the scriptures meant. Today, they're kind of like law clerks, though, that we would see. And you've been watching the Amy uh, 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 Barrett... Comey Barrett uh, confirmation hearings, she was a law clerk at one time. That's where you start for the Supreme Court justice and some of our other politicians. And so it's kind of like you're helping interpret law, interpret constitution and stuff like that. That's what they were doing. They were experts in interpreting the Old Testament. Now, it's really, it's really funny, though, I mean, because you and I, knowing that Jesus is Lord, that He's God of God, He's, he's God all over there, this, this scribe comes to Him, and He'd been listening, He overheard the Sadducees, He hears what Jesus tells them about being greatly mistaken, which in some ways, that's what He would tell people. No, 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 you're misinterpreting the Old Testament. So He, he, he sees Jesus telling them that. And he heard them reasoning, they're jointly discussing or disputing. Listen, if you're reasoning with God, it's very wise to listen to him. Don't come up with your own nonsense. And, and when he sees them reasoning together, he perceived, he uh, understood uh, that Jesus answered them well. Everything that Jesus does, he does good. He does well. So he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now, you might think that this is a normal question, but really it's a loaded question. See, because the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ruling authorities, the nation of Israel, these, the, they had taken the first five books of the Law, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And instead of ten commandments that we have, that, that God gave us, they have come up with like 613 of them that they found in those five books that were commands from God. And then they divided them into to, 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 to negative and positive ones. Ones that are telling you to do something, ones that are telling you not to do stuff. And then... They argued all the time about which was the greatest and which one they should follow and which one should be this and which one should be that. And what was most important? If you did this one, should you do that one? So, so really, this scribe is coming just like the rest of them, trying to set Jesus up to start an argument with everybody around if he says that something else is the greater commandment. If he says anything different than what he says. So he really, you're going to see at the end of this text, they dared not question him anymore. Because there's no counsel, there's no, there's no way to, to come to God and argue with him and win. There's no way to, to, to come against his wisdom. There's no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. And so they have to end up in their hearts saying, you know what, we better be quiet. He's going to make us look like fools here pretty soon. So, 
which is the first commandment of all. Now think, because if you know the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, where they're repeated. I mean, you shall have no other gods before me. That could have been a good way to answer. That might be what we would answer since we know the Ten Commandments. But notice what he says. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he goes even further than that. He says, this is the first commandment, and the second like it. So he gives more, abundantly more than what they even asked for or hoped for. Uh, is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. I mean, and notice how with authority he says it. He doesn't just say it. Well, I think that maybe we could and that it might be this one. You know, he says it very certainly knowing exactly what it is. Why? Because he's God. And he knows the answer to the question. Are you asking him? Are you asking him for the right reason? Are you spending time in prayer? Listen, I hear, I, I just want you to, I, I believe that spending time in prayer, again, is learning to be dependent upon God. The first place is to lay your heart before God, to learn to be dependent and know that He has all the answers to everything that's going on, and it builds your faith where you trust Him. But then when you begin to pray for somebody else and intercede for others and supplicate for their needs, you begin to be concerned and have the heart of God for them. And then you desire to see souls saved and lives changed. But if you're not praying... You don't desire to have a relationship with God. You don't desire to see other people saved. And your heart is selfish. It stays where it's at. It stays with unbelief and no faith. It has to begin with prayer. And then when you begin to pray, He begins to reveal the Word to you because He's already answered it all. It's already answered. The, the answers are here in this word. The relationship, as you begin to let your heart follow Him and trust Him and stop trusting in man. Stop trusting in yourself. Nothing wrong with coming to God and asking the hardest questions ever. But you have to accept His answers. When you argue with His answers, when you resist and reject His answers, you're double-minded. So what does he do? Hear. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he gives them what's commonly called, you can turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 1. I want you to see this. He gives them commonly what's called the Shema. Now, when you... Read about that, hear about that. They say, why? Because the Old Testament word Shema means to hear. But it's not true. The Old Testament word Shema, S-H-A-M-A, -A, means to hear. And it comes from the word Shema. So they call this the Shema because it says hear. And it doesn't just mean, did you hear a noise? Did you hear that noise? It doesn't just mean that. You want to understand that when you hear the Word of God, it's not just I heard it for knowledge, but I want to hear it and pay attention to it with intent to obey it. 
I want to understand it. I want it to dwell in my heart in the middle of me to where it becomes my life. And that way I can become like God. Not a God, but conformed into His image. So in, in the Old Testament, the word here in Deuteronomy is Shema. It's related to Shema. And, and Shema means this, to hear intelligently. It's implied that you have an attention to obey when you hear the Word of God. So when the Bible even says in the New Testament, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, there's an intent that is there that's already implied that when you hear it, you're going to stop doing what you're doing and you're going to follow God. And that's how faith is grown because now you're listening to His counsel. You're knowing that He's answered correctly and that if you follow it, there'll be a great blessing. That's how faith grows. You don't come and listen to it and question it in order to ignore it and to figure out how to disobey it and figure out how to live around it and figure out how to, to, to go somewhere else and do something else. When you come to God, you want to hear the truth. That's what salvation is about. That's what deliverance from deception, deliverance from the sin nature is about, is learning to follow God and be in His family once again. And that's what the blood of Jesus has done. It's brought us near. But we can still choose to reject sanctification. We can still choose to only have a head knowledge and never let our heart be changed at all. See, because it's only by obedience that our faith grows, and it's only by obedience that our heart changes. Deuteronomy 6, let's start in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe, you may obey them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. See, and he had just did the Ten Commandments again, but we're in chapter 6. Chapter 5 was the Ten Commandments again, when he gave a, uh, the second reading of them. Now notice this, that you have come to salvation. If you've come to Jesus, you already own an inheritance. But you've got to find it out. You've got to search it out. You've got to cross over from the flesh. Let the flesh be dead. And possess this. You can have an inheritance and never pick it up. You can win the lottery and never go show up to get it. Your number can be called at your bingo club and you never get up from your chair. You can be given a free gift and never open it. That you may fear. And I, I think we can prove out that when you fear God, you obey God. When you fear God with a reverence, it's not a fear like He's going to hit you with a stick. It's a heart of respect and reverence that fears Him so you obey Him because you know that the blessing is there. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep His statutes and His commandments which I commanded you. You and your son, and notice that, your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So we know that there's long life involved in this. Now listen to me, because therefore you don't think that I'm trying to tell you to, to work out this, and you get it, and you're saved because you obeyed, and you kept it, and you feared, and you possessed. And Listen, listen, we can't do it. 
The law was only a schoolmaster to lead us to the fact that we couldn't do it to get us to Jesus, and Jesus has done it. But He did it all for us, and if you believe in His blood, you believe is in atoning sacrifice, then you still set your heart to go the same way that the law was always pointing you to go. You still set your heart to be sanctified and to follow the truth of what Jesus... He gave us His righteousness and took our sin. And now we're laying down our sin and we're picking up that righteousness and learning to walk in right living before God. That's what righteousness means. We will stumble. I'm not giving you permission. But if you never turn your heart toward obeying, toward growing, toward a relationship, Is there true salvation even there? Have you really crossed over? Verse 3, Therefore, hear, there it is, Shama, Hear, O Israel, hear those governed by God, and be careful to obey, to observe it, that it may be well with you. Do you want it to be well with you? Because you're going to reap what you sow. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you. God keeps His promises. A land flowing with milk and honey. Now that is a promise that was given to them of the land of Canaan. We know it since we know the Bible that they didn't do it. We know they ended up was taking captivity. Northern kingdoms First, then the southern kingdom of Judah followed not many years later. And then he says what we were looking here for. Verse 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now listen, the Lord our God, God there is Elohim. It's a plural word. Very important to know that. Just like in, in Genesis 1, 26 maybe, let us make man in our image. It's Elohim. It's the plural world for God. El is God. L-O is dual. Elohim is plural. Now God's not plural. He's one. But He's three persons. Can't explain it to you. Not going to try to explain it to you. You just need to believe it. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three the same. All three one. All three God. Very God. But it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In the same statement, you have a plural word for God. Elohim. He's one. One means only. There's no other. He's the only one it can be translated. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Of course, exactly what Jesus quoted in our text. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Listen, it's not just words on a paper. The, this, the whole thought and the whole content and the, every bit of it needs to get into the heart. Do you see what I mean? It can't just be, oh, I know what to do. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, all my mind. No, no, no. It's got to get into the heart where it's second nature. It's what you do. Second nature. Your second birth. 
It's what you do. It can't just be something you know. It has to be a God you know in a personal love relationship. He wants it to be in their heart. That's what everything was there for, was to lead them and also to lead them to know that they couldn't do it. And that the only way it's going to be in your heart is if Christ is in your heart because he already fully obeyed it. He already perfectly was righteous. He already came and was without sin. So now it can be in your heart by just faith. You shall teach them diligently to your children. In other words, you're supposed to do something with them. You don't just learn it. You don't just put it in your heart. But you're supposed to be passing it on first to your family. Then to others, your neighbor. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. These are things that you should always be doing. Instead of beating our kids or, or, or training them to live in the world, when we sit down with them and something goes wrong, and we should tell them why it's wrong. We should be teaching them that this is what's going on. I was having such a great time with my grandbaby. She rides with me to church every single week, has for uh, 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 10 years or something crazy. Um, and, and it's always those conversations. I love having those conversations when you're alone with your kids, uh, your grandkids. And it said grandkids here. But the, my favorite time of the year, it's coming close to my spiritual birthday. And you're seeing the trees all turn and they're losing their chloroform. And they're the most beautiful when they're dying. On the outside, they're the most beautiful when they're dying. But on the inside, they're growing more and more and more than ever before. And it's the same thing. It's, it, it, it is a complete analogy of the Christian life. There, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot produce more. It doesn't matter what clothes you have. It doesn't matter what long robes or what PhDs, which is in our text today. It, what matters is are you dying to self? What matters is, are you alive to Christ? And is, this, is God becoming real in your hearts? Are you understanding that other people around you are more important than you? Yes. They might be dying and going to hell. You're called to help. You're called to be a life preserver. You're called to be a, a part with their Savior. You're called to be one who would help to diligently teach them and correct them and love them. And yet, we stay so focused only on our lives and we forget about the people around us. I am certainly glad that my Savior didn't do that and sit on His throne and play some type of video game and forget about everybody on earth. I know, that was horrible to think about, wasn't it? I see people's minds going... Yet he was selfless. So you're supposed to teach your children. You're supposed to talk about them when you sit in your house. What are you talking about in your house? What are you fighting about in your house? What is the disaster in your house? When you walk by the way, it's in your life. It's your walk. It's when you lie down. It's when you're going, when you rise up. This is how all happens. This is how all happens. When you make it your all in all. When it's always about God. This is how you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. With your everything is when you put Him in everything. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house. 
and on your gates. Everything about your life should represent Jesus Christ. And we all fall so short. But just to be stubborn in it and keep doing what we want to do when we know the truth is out and out witchcraft. It's out and out rebellion. And we're going to get to that in a minute when we get to 1 Samuel 15. So here is the text that he's quoting. Here, give audience. Understand is the context there. Understand that you're supposed to love God with all of you. Make it your life because you're now in the family of God. With your heart is your cardia. It means your thoughts and feelings. It means your minds. It means the middle of you. Listen, listen. you might say, oh, well, I got these feelings and I got these. Listen, God wants your feelings and thoughts. God wants to be Lord of your feelings and thoughts. And if your feelings are always this or always that, and they don't line up with your inheritance and your identity, then you need to surrender by faith your feelings. Listen to me. God wants to be Lord over all of you. And it takes you surrendering and working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It takes you becoming part of that and allowing the Spirit to wash and cleanse you. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't make it right. Your feelings are your fallen nature, but God wants to bring them into your new nature and change those feelings that that I'm inadequate and I can't do it. Well, don't look at the world. Look at the cross. Don't look at the world. Look at the Word of God and have your feelings changed for the glory of God. Too many people allow their feelings to stay the same from childhood and through the cross, through Christ, all the way into heaven, and they go to their grave with regrets because they still feel like they're inadequate. I still feel like you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And then sin happens, and the curse happens, and God redeems you out of that, and He wants to put His blood over all of you. So our feelings have to change. I used to feel like this, but now in Christ, I know that that feeling is a bad feeling. It's not a correct feeling. And I want to feel like what God wants me to feel like. That's what it means to love Him with your heart. It's every bit of you. Your soul, which is your breath. It's your spirit. It's, listen, listen to this. It's the animal sentient. I don't know what these words mean. Sometimes I have to look them up. The animal sentient or principle only. And, and, and the sentient is the, is the part of you that perceives. It sees what's going on. It reflects on it. It feels and desires. It's really your rational soul. So it's kind of almost like your feelings and stuff. But it's part of you that you have to re- surrender to God. We come to God as little children. See, and as adults, when you come to God, you have to come and become like a little child and recognize that your feelings are messed up. And now in the kingdom of God, in the house of God, that you begin to grow again in God and learn the truth and stop listening to the lies that you were told all your life. So I've been in this so many times with people that go, that's just who I am. I'm like, really? Do you understand the first part of salvation? 
That because of salvation, you're no longer who you were. You become a new creation. So you cannot say to people, that's who I am. I just tell them my mind, that's, what, that's who I am. Really? And you're calling that godly? You're thinking that you should tell people that? You're thinking you should just open your mouth and say that like it's a virtue? That's evil. We're supposed to be telling people what God's mind is, what God's heart is, what God's truth is. And it doesn't matter about your emotions. See, the emotions and the feelings that are under the curse is why we're in the place we're at in the church. It's why we're at the place we are in the world. And I'll get to that in a minute when we look at this. The second commandment. Listen, listen. God wants all of you, your heart, your soul, your mind. See, your mind is meaning your imagination and your understanding. And then your strength is all of your ability, your might. Listen, but you have no ability apart from Christ. But He wants your ability. And then, in fact, He says, I will give you power. But you shall receive power, which is the word ability, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what? Why do I need an ability? Why do I need power? As a new creation in the family of God, you need that power to be washed and cleansed with the Word and understand it properly. But you need it to be a witness, a martyr, one who dies for their faith. In other words, I'm dead to my desires. I'm dead to what I want to do. I'm dead to my old emotions and feelings. I'm going to die to all that stuff. Now, it's a process. It takes time. But you're supposed to be dying to it and going with God and growing. And being concerned because the number one thing that God was doing, what's he doing? He's saving souls. Number one thing he's doing, he's delivering souls. Number one thing he's doing, everything about this life. And yet we go, I'm the church, I believe in Jesus, and we're not concerned at all with anybody else except ourselves. That's good old-fashioned death. It's good old-fashioned death. It's just cloaked in, I go to church. It's cloaked in, I read my Bible. It's cloaked in, I don't go to the bar anymore. It's cloaked in, I stop cussing. But it's dead. It's dead faith. Listen, God wants us to give our heart to Him completely. Our mind, our soul, our strength. Because if we don't, there's nothing we can do for our neighbor. There's no way you can help your neighbor. Listen, cutting his tree down, hauling his garbage, cleaning his house, none of those things help your neighbor unless you have the love of God in you that desires to see them saved. It doesn't matter how much you do for them. It doesn't matter. Because you're going to do it wrong. You have no ability of your own. I have no ability of my own apart from first surrendering my heart, soul, mind, and strength to Christ. And it's all based upon hearing. Hearing what God has to say to the world. What happened? Adam and Eve heard it. Adam was told it. He shared it with his wife. His wife knew it. And she said, no, I don't want to hear it. Talk to the hand. Not to the face. I'm going to listen to this liar. And so what she heard produced death. She rejected life and chose death. 
And so much of the church is like this. We read it, we have knowledge, we know what we're supposed to do, but we reject it. We don't obey it. We don't even look to obey it. We're not looking to do it. And true faith in God produces works of righteousness. Not works with our hands, works for His hands. Works of righteousness which bring other people a witness of who a true and living God is. And that He's actively been working in our lives. All just means you're whole. All of you. You're complete. You don't need a calculator to figure that out. And the second is like it, He says. Look. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, we can't do this in the flesh. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ has already done it for us. He gives us a position. He gives us a place. Now He's given us truth. And we need to turn our hearts toward home and say, I can't do this. I have no ability. But I know you can do it, God, because all things are possible with you. So I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to spend time in prayer with you. I'm going to hide your word in my heart because I begin to have the mind of Christ when I do that. And you want to be a doctor, what do you do? You begin to read, study. You might pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school and hang out with people that know about doctoring. Not doctoring, doctoring. I'm, a, I'm from Kentucky. Listen to me. So if we want to be like Christ, we have to hang out with Christ and Christ-like people and people that are doing the will of God. We have to hang out with the great physician. And none of the other stuff matters. None of the other stuff matters unless we're hanging out with Christ because we can't do anything for our neighbor. I can't love my neighbor unless I am first seeking God because I don't care about my neighbor. Listen, listen to me. Without God in our lives, none of us care about our neighbors. Some of you think, oh, I'm a pretty nice person. I'm pretty sweet. I'm pretty good. We care less about other people without God's influence in our lives. We're selfish. The sin nature is selfish. It's sinful. It's from Satan. It's from below. No matter how much you think of yourself, You can't help your neighbor until you first spend time with God. You won't even be concerned with a neighbor or with somebody else until you spend time with God. And if you allow the devil to keep you from spending time in the word, prayer, and fellowship, then you've deceived yourself. Because that's the only thing that God has provided for his children to grow in his house and be the church is the word, prayer, and fellowship. And to reject it will end in death. Mark 12, 31. And the second, like it. Notice it's like it. Is this. See, he gave them more than what they were really asking. Because it's not important. Why would we be God-like? Why would we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And let there was something to do with what he does in us when we do that. So the second, after you put God first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, Matthew 6, 33, seek this vertical relationship with God, then it takes care of the horizontal. All the relationships with others. God-centered, others-oriented, 
vertical first. And if you're dealing with the vertical, it helps with the horizontal. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And of course, um, your neighbor is someone near, someone close by. It's a countryman. It's a friend. It's quoting Leviticus 19.18. Let's look there. Let's see what he's talking about. I want to do a little bit more than 1918, though. I want to start in like 17. Now, listen, when I go back there, because here, what, what did he just tell them? They greatly err because they do not know the scriptures nor the power of God, the ability of God. Where if you and I would learn the scriptures and we allow the scriptures to get in us and us to get in them, then the ability that God gives us in the Spirit to do His works of righteousness just comes naturally. You don't need to stand around and argue about who's going to help clean up the glass of milk that's spilt. You jump up and clean it up. It was an accident. That's why they don't call them on purposes. Everybody just gets up and serves. Look at this. I want you to show you this, and we'll just get a little bit of this in it too. It's, and like I said, I'd love to go a lot more, but it's Leviticus. Where did I say? Let's do four. Let's start in 14. See, we keep backing up. We keep backing up. Let's do 13. You shall not cheat your neighbor. Listen, these are laws that were given that are hard for sinful people to do, but they were there to show you that you couldn't do them and you needed God to help you do them. And Christ comes and He puts His Spirit in us and gave us His righteousness, but they're still there. They didn't go away. It's not in Christ I'm set free and I'm a Christian now and I'm going to heaven and now I can cheat my neighbor because I already got saved. So I can freely cheat them. Somebody said, well, you're not under the law. Well, then I get to cheat them then, right? I get to cheat my neighbor. I'm already saved. I'm not under law. You can't make me not cheat them. That becomes part of life, right? No. So don't listen to people that say, well, we're not under law. We aren't, but we've been set free. We're above the law. Now it should never enter our heart to cheat our neighbor. It should never enter our heart as a witness for Christ to cheat our neighbor. Because His Spirit dwells in us. And we've been given a new nature. And that should be a feeling and an emotion and an idea that should be struck down if you're worshiping God. Nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. Pay people quickly. Take care of them. You shall not curse the deaf. Now, this is why I wanted to go there. Look at, it. Look at this, what God has to tell people. You want to know, listen, you think you're a nice person without Christ? This is what we do in the sin nature. You shall not curse the deaf. as somebody can't hear. Why? Because they can't hear you. Nor put a stumbling block before the blind. Can you see that? Can you see that in our sin nature, how terrible we are? There's somebody that's blind and they're walking down the street and you go, Hey, look, dude. You throw something out in front of them to make them trip. That's how evil we are. Now, you can take that into a spiritual sense. And somebody who's blind, you don't want to be a bad witness in front of them and stumble them so that they never come to Christ. 
I was listening the other day. You know how people always say, people always say, I ain't going to church. A bunch of hypocrites there. And somebody said, I forget who said it, but you're going to let a hypocrite be closer to God than you? Because that hypocrite's at least in church, so he's closer to God than you are. So you let a hypocrite keep you from God. That's a pretty crazy statement, really. Okay, look, so don't, don't be trying to stumble blind people. But sh you shall fear your God. Why? He says it clearly. I am the Lord. There's no other reason. I created you. It's my planet. It's my rules. This is good. This is love. He says, and he says that a bunch in Leviticus, which is a great book. 15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. Just balance weights. You shall not be partial. Listen, this is very important because we're going to see this. You're not supposed to be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. In other words, you're the same person. Love treats everybody the same, whether they've got or don't got. Whether they're poor or rich, you still treat people the same because of who God is. God's love reaches down to everyone. It's unchanging. He doesn't treat rich people one way and poor people another way. And we shouldn't either. You should not go about as a tellbearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Don't be talking about him and don't take a stand against somebody's life. Now, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. That's murder, Jesus said. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor. Wait a minute. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. Listen to me. This is love. This is how you love your neighbor. He's leading up to this. What's the next line? You shall not take vengeance nor bear a grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What's he talking about here? Listen to me. If you allow your neighbor to be who they are because they're who they are, love loves like we see the lie in the streets and in the church today, if you allow them to stay where they're at, you don't love them at all. You should be showing them the truth. And if they are living wrong, you have to rebuke that. You have to reprove that. You have to show them what is real. You can't control their change or whether they would surrender and receive God and want to change. But it is not love to have the truth in your heart and to know that they err and they're going to hell and never rebuke your neighbor you love people you speak the truth in love but for them to say love loves and everybody gets to do what they want and don't judge me man is good old-fashioned hate it's good old-fashioned death and it's good old-fashioned sin it's not the bible and i'm not telling you to go start knocking on the neighbor's door but if they're truly close by and you truly want to love them, you have to correct and speak to them. But you do it with the Word of God. You don't say, I want you to do that too, you heathen dog. I won't do it no more. You just tell them the truth. That this is going to be judged and the wages of it is death. 
And God loves you. And He died so you wouldn't have to do this and go through this. And you don't have to stay in those feelings and emotions. You can come to God and love Him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And He will change you. He gives you an inheritance, a hope. He gives you all new. You become a creation of God. New creation. Old things pass away. That includes your feelings, your emotions, your desires. That includes everything if you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. They pass away. What's that mean? Lost my brother. He passed away. He's dead. He's alive in Christ because to be absent from the body, he's the God of the living. But it means death to the old ways, to the old flesh. Listen to me. If you love your neighbor, you don't let your neighbor go to hell. Who was it, Penn and Teller? Which one's Penn, the tall guy? Teller's the one that can't talk? I think it's Penn's the tall one. He said a guy come up to him after a show one night and give him a Gideon's Bible. Now, he's a, he's a devout atheist. But he did a whole video of it. He wanted people to know that when you walk by me and you don't tell me about Jesus and you come to my shows and you say you believe in God, you don't love me, you hate me. Because if you truly believe what's in that book, you would want to sound that alarm to everybody. Think about it. Someone with cancer and you had the cure in your pocket, wouldn't you want to give it to everybody? They're going to die. Listen to me, this is very serious. He's a devout atheist, and he said, that man loved me more than all the other Christians I ever met because the other ones, because they knew I was an atheist, would not share with me the love of God. And he said, I felt that as love because he wasn't afraid to share with me. But listen, once again, unless you're loving God... With a, listen, you can't do it perfectly. You, you're positionally okay. But practically, you need to have a heart that you want to love God with your everything. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. You want to love Him with that. You want to move in that direction. And if you do, you're going to fear Him and respect Him. And He's going to give you the ability to go and do what He's called you to do. That's called faith. Where is faith at in the church today? When people keep living their old lives and never change. That's not faith. That's called death. And we all can be there. Listen to me. We all can do it. But when are we going to start walking by faith? When are we going to start being concerned about people around us? When are we going to start doing the works of righteousness which he died so that we could do? Look at, again, it's 1918. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. What did he just say? He said, forgive. I'm going to forgive you. You forgive them. Don't stay in your emotions, in your feelings, in your desires. Forgive is what he's saying. Don't think about vengeance and punishment. Don't bear a grudge and keep hating your heart. We want forgiveness then why don't we give forgiveness? That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. I want God to forgive me, but I don't want to forgive my neighbor. Well, then you hate him. Then you murdered him. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, it's, it's, it's huge. And see, what, what, what I'm trying to do here is help you to see the context. When he said this to the scribe, who was a lawyer, who was, who was uh, one who helped interpret and teach the Old Testament, he would know every scripture surrounding. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, He is one. You shall love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He knows everything that's there in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He knows it perfectly. That's how he can look and go, Wow, you did a good job answering that. Everything I heard about you, maybe it's wrong. I don't know what I'm going to do now. But he finds himself thinking that he's coming to attack and exposed, and I'm a little bit smarter than all the rest of those Herodians and Pharisees and Sadducees that came because I'm the lawyer. I can get this guy and catch him and trip him up. I'll cause a big argument in the streets here so that the Roman soldiers come and arrest him. I mean, this is what's going on. And it turns out that he ends up with his eyes a little bit more open. Listen, you don't care about your neighbor unless you first surrender to God. I didn't say you won't mow his grass. I didn't say you won't take his trash out. I didn't say you won't go over if they're in the hospital. But you're only doing something that's physical and that normal people that don't know Jesus do. It goes so much further when you begin to put the Word of God and the love of God and the heart of God on and the mind of Christ on. And you put them first. You don't wait till their house is on fire to go over and tell them it's on fire. You want to be proactive with it. You want to go out and share the gospel with them and help their house never to catch on fire. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. I've seen them wires hanging out of that porch light for about three years now. I knew it was going to burn down. Really? Why didn't you knock on the door and tell them? See, that's love. It really is. But people get mad in the church today if you love them. If you tell them, no, that's not true. That's bad reading of the scriptures. No, that's not true. You shouldn't be doing that. They get mad at you. Wonder if they get mad if you said, hey, them porch wires there are going to catch your house on fire one day. They might be irritated by you. But you know what? When their house is on fire and you pour water on it, they're going to like you. Most people in the church today, their house is on fire. Their spiritual house is on fire. And they're pretending and they're playing and they're doing nothing to get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. They're doing nothing to surrender their heart and follow what God has called them to do and be the new creations that they're called to be. They go on and they think it's going to be okay because they believe the lies of the false prophets who said, well, you said a prayer. Listen, the demons know and tremble. Do you really love your neighbor? Do you really love the people that you talk to all the time? Are you really concerned about their life? Are you willing to speak up and rebuke them when their life isn't living right and they just think they're okay? Are you willing to tell somebody that's in an LBGTQ relationship that they're going to go to hell if they don't repent? 
Are you willing to tell somebody that God loves everybody and black lives matter, but so do all lives matter? That we're all fearfully and wonderfully made? Are you really ready to stand up and speak the truth in love? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, and, the, and what they're trying to do is silence the church. They're trying to silence the church. They're trying to close little churches like this because there's not enough resources to keep them open. Lots of churches will never open again. If you've seen the statistics, you'd be alarmed because there's going to be millions of churches that don't open their doors back up because they're down like this. There's businesses like this. Even Calvary Chapel Magazine, we're going to send them a donation. They could not print the magazine for six months. So they make their money from supplying the churches. Their whole existence is trying to share good news with everybody else of what's going on around the world in the Calvary chapels, in the church. Keep us posted. And, and that's just a little tiny bit of it. We were talking about it Friday night. Did you guys know that five miles, listen, you know how long five miles is? Think about how long five miles is. Five miles of small businesses and business community in Minneapolis, Minnesota was burnt to the ground during the riot, those peaceful riots. Five miles! And most of it will never be rebuilt. No insurance, no way I'm going to rebuild right there because nobody protected me. We're going somewhere else with our factory. We're going somewhere else with our we're not going to stay here. It's love, though. Don't say nothing, because if you say anything, you really didn't care about George Floyd. You really didn't care about... You don't care. You're racist. Now, when you silence me, you're the racist. When you tell me I can't speak, you're the racist. You're silencing ideas. You're silencing our ability to, to work together and love one another as a family. When you tell me to shut up and my ideas aren't true, you're the racist. You don't want to hear ideas. You're afraid of truth. So all you do is turn to violence because you can't handle truth. Listen, if we love, we speak up. We're concerned. They're going to hell. To let them go to hell is not love. Because love is a person. Love came down. Love died on a cross so that no one would have to go to hell. And if we're his ambassadors, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. So, let's keep moving. 32, Mark 12. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. <laughs> Every time I open my mouth. <laughs> this happened would be I'm incarnate truth. Sorry. Of course, we didn't know that. He knows that. We know that. For there is one God, Elohim, not here, but Old Testament. And there is no other but he. There is no other. All the rest are lies and deception of the devil. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now he changed the word to understanding. 
and it means a mental putting together. It means your intellect and your knowledge, your, your uh, uh, intelligence. It's everything about you. Everything. When Christ purchased you with his blood, he purchased everything. When you said yes, you gave him everything, and then you took it back. And then you took it back again, and you keep taking it back. That's what we do. But we need to surrender completely to the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says. And this is the lawyer, this is the scribe, this is the one who helps interpret Old Testament and cause so much confusion. He tells Jesus he answered well. And this one and two is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, God never desired burnt offerings and sacrifices. Look at 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, you remember this? Uh, First king, Saul, he's done blown it. He tried to get up and do a sacrifice. God told him, you're going to lose the kingdom. You're not obeying. You're not listening. I'll give you a second chance, though. Go and kill all the Amalekites. And if you go and study this text and you understand it, the, the Amalekites is, is really akin to you and I becoming sanctified. You're supposed to be killing off the old life leaving it for dead, putting it in the grave, growing in truth, becoming more like Christ. Those are compared to the Amalekites. And so Saul goes with his army to do that, and he comes back with a bunch of spoils. He comes back with a bunch of material goods, sheep and donkeys, and, and Saul confront, or Samuel confronts him. And he says, oh, in 15, 15, he tells them that the people did it. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord God. See, this is the people who sacrificed their life to everything else and never give their heart, soul, mind, and strength to God. But everything else comes first. Everything else is what I'm going to do, and it's because I want to have this to give it to God later i got to work all kinds of overtime and skip church and Bible study. And i got to go do all these other things so that later I'll be able to give to God. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. God said, kill it. God said, get it off the throne of your life. God said that this world doesn't matter. It's souls. So our heart's intent is supposed to be as Christ, to win souls. Do we work? Yes, because if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Do we work? Because yes, you're worse than an infidel if you don't take care of your family. But it is not first place in your heart. God is. And if you make it first place in your heart and then blame somebody else as Saul did, you're going to die. Because Saul dies. God killed him. If you trace this out. But look down at the bottom in 22... 1522, Samuel says to Saul, after much, you can read it later, you can go get the tape, we've taught it, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the word, the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the word of God than the fat of rams. For rebellion, listen, when Saul did not obey God but chose to bring all this and do all this and get all this, he was in rebellion against God's word. He was refusing to obey God's word. And it says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. I ain't going to receive that truth. I'm not going to do that. I'm saved because I said a prayer. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word, the voice of God, the truth of God, he also has rejected you from being king. Listen, God has called us. I'm not telling you that people are going to hell because they don't do things that I say. But the Word of God is clear about rebellion and witchcraft. The Word of God is clear of our salvation and what we're supposed to be doing, what we're called to do, how we're supposed to be living. And if we reject what the Word of God says, now you might have to get into the Word and read it yourself, study it yourself, find out whether I'm saying this, be a Berean, see if what I'm saying is true. But you can't go on doing what you're always doing. And think you're okay just because you said a prayer. It's simply not the gospel. And here's a scribe who's supposed to be teaching the Old Testament in Mark 12 here. And he is looking at Jesus and trying to trick him up. And then he makes this comment that says that it is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Here's a man that's under the law. And he says, it's more. And you know what Jesus says to him? Look what Jesus says to him. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, Jesus said what he said was wise. Because Jesus knows that he had no pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices. He was always wanting a heart that would obey. Always looking to move a heart toward a love relationship. And it was nothing to do with the sacrifices that was pure work related do this and obey me in that and i won't kill you because they were in that place remember where they said they would obey god and then moses went up on the hill to get the ten commandments and before he could come back down they already rose up to play and the only way to, that God could be God and be just and loving was to come up with a system that he already knew was going to happen anyway, which was the law that become a schoolmaster that led them until Christ come. But look what Jesus says to him. You answered rightly. You answered wisely. He said to him this, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He didn't say, wow, what a good wise answer there, scribe. You're saved. No, he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God because you understand that love is greater than sacrifice. Exactly what Samuel, we just read. Love is greater. Obedience is greater than all these sacrifices. So listen, when you're doing work and you're going, I'm sacrificing, I'm doing it. If it ain't in Christ's righteousness, it's, it's just works of your own. If it doesn't have something to do with the love of God to reach souls for God, then it's just your own works. 
It's your own, for your own pleasure. And that's what he's going to get to down here in a minute, is about them doing everything that they do, but it was just so they could have the best seats, just so they could be noticed, just so they could have, just so they could get. It was nothing to do with their hearts being surrendered to God. And that's the place it has to start, or you can't do nothing for your neighbor. Because if your heart isn't surrendered to God, you're still in rebellion and witchcraft. And it doesn't matter how many burnt offerings, which burnt offering is fully dedicated. That's what giving all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength was about. They did the burnt offering. God got every bit of it. It was the first offering. It represents Christ giving every bit of him to God for the sin of the world. And then the other sacrifices went out from that. But it all started with a full surrender. So he told him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That means he's not there yet. See, because in order to be in the kingdom of God, a child of God, you have to believe in the provision of God. You can't believe in yourself. You can't believe in the law. You have to believe that God is going to make a provision. That's how the Old Testament saints were saved. They look forward to the Messiah. You and I look back, but it's always looking to God's provision, not our works. And these Pharisees and Sadducees looked at their works. They looked at what they were doing. They looked at how smart they were. They looked at how wise they were, not looking by faith to God's provision for salvation. And that's where you and I still have to look. God wants our heart. He doesn't want our works. But if he has our hearts, then our works will be by faith and they will be righteousness. But faith without works is dead faith. If we don't have God's work in our lives, it's dead faith. It's not real faith. James tells us, O camel knees. So look, it says, but after that, it's the end of verse 34, no one dared question him. No wisdom or counsel against the Lord. They were afraid to question him now because he had already silenced every one of them with the truth of the scriptures. The same way that he revealed to the uh, Sadducees one word on the scriptures, now he's going to reveal to them. Watch this. Move on, verse 35. Then Jesus answered and said, See, they're afraid to question him, but he's not afraid to question them. He wants to continue. They've been trying to trick him and catch him and deceive him. They're going to crucify and kill him. And what is he doing? He's offering love. No matter where you've been with God, he's offering love. He's still reaching to you with love. Watch what he does. He doesn't just go, okay, got them. They're confused. They're lost. They don't know the scriptures. They're close to the kingdom of God. I'll just leave them right there and see if they can find their way. No, he goes to clear up some more untruth of theirs because that's what he's here to do. He wants to keep us changing and growing and becoming like him. So he's in the temple and he's teaching them doctrine. How is it that the scribes say, now he just talked with a scribe, remember, that interpreter of the Old Testament law, that the Christ is the son of David. See, this was their favorite saying. Son of David, son of David. See, it's a messianic term because David was promised that the Messiah would come from his loins. And they clearly said he was son of David. But you know what happens when you just say son of David? That means you think that the Messiah is going to be only man, physical man. But watch, he clears this up for him. For David himself said by the Holy Spirit. Notice who led David, a man after God's own heart. Notice that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. You want to be after God's heart? You want to be able to give him your heart, soul, mind, and strength? You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. No other way to do it. 
This is what David said. It's Psalms 110. In other words, when you look in your Bible and it says somebody else wrote Psalms 110, you can go, liar. Because Jesus said David wrote it by the mouth of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave him inspiration. And what did he say? The Lord said to my Lord. God said to God, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Nobody's sitting in heaven in the throne room unless it's God anyway. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Listen to this question he asked them. They've been asking a bunch of questions. So he says, let me, you dare not ask me no more. Let me put shut up on your mouth. But let me correct something. Yes, he's son of David, but he's also son of God. A messianic term that they missed. He's 100%. Listen. Jesus is 100% man. 100% God. He's not 50% man, 50% God. I don't know what 200% means, but he's our all in all. He's not part man and part God. He's, he, he's not a hybrid. He's 100% man, just like you and I, acquainted with our grief. And then he's 100% God in the flesh, living in the flesh. Just like God, 100% is living in you right now. The Spirit of God. When we know Jesus, the Spirit comes in and seals us. When we believe in His finished works. And here in the Greek text, this says, The Lord said to my Lord, which is both kurios, supreme in authority. But when you go back to Psalm 110, you find out something is different there. What's different there? The first one is, Jehovah said to Adonai. So you have to go, you're going back now to, and how did it happen? By the Holy Spirit. Now you got this Elohim again, who's in three persons, but he's one. Now you got all three of them working together in this text. And so he's not just man, the son of David, but he's a hundred percent man, son of David from the tribe of Judah. And he's a hundred percent God because of the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and making him God. And so now you have to deal with the fact, and look how easily he does that. Scriptures that they think they know, scriptures they think they've been teaching, scriptures, and he's the son of David, and when he comes, we will worship him. And what? Why would you worship a man? He has to be God. He's God, very God. Don't know how it works, can't figure it out. I believe it by faith because I see it. So God said to God, the Lord said to the Lord, Jehovah said to Adonai. Let me see. Jehovah is the self-existence one, and it's also translated Lord. And Adonai is the sovereign. He's the Lord. He's the controller. And it's also translated Lord also. The Lord said to my Lord, sit on this throne with me here in the throne room. At my right hand, which is a place of power, till I make your enemies, those who are hateful, those who are odious, those who are hostile, our adversary, especially Satan, I put them under your feet. That's what footstool means. They're secure under your feet. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So they're telling him, he's actually saying that the Messiah will be God. The Messiah is the Lord. The Messiah will be 100% man, 100% God. You know this has got to flip them out. Then he said to them in his doctrine, King James, in his teaching, Beware 
of the scribes. Ooh, scribes are here a lot. See, people have misinterpreted the Bible. These experts, these lawyers in the Old Testament scriptures, beware of them. Their intent, their hearts are wrong. They're not doing it for the right reasons. Who desire. Guess what it says in the King James. It says, who love to go around in long robes. It's a word love. It's another word for love that means to determine as an act or an option. It's their impulse to delight in is what it means in Hebrews. They delight. They desire. That's what they desire to do, to walk around in long robes. They want to be dressed fancy. Now, I'm not talking about anybody that's buying $10,000 suits and they got really long ones that they wear and they preach on Sunday. Not talking about them. These people that like these long robes and fancy clothes. They love greetings in the marketplace. They want people to notice them. The best seats in the synagogues. They want to sit right up front where the scrolls are at, is what this means. And then the best places at the feast, the seats of honor. What else do they do, Greg? They devour widows' houses, and and for pretense, they make long prayers. These will receive a greater condemnation because they're supposed to be glorifying God and leading people to God and teaching it what the Scriptures mean, and they do it all for themselves. They do it all to make their own money. It's all religion. Devour widows' houses means to eat down And widows is this, it's always this, through the idea of a deficiency. A widow truly lacks a husband, but there's people that are orphans that have a deficiency. They have no parents. There's people that have not, and and, and you want to look important to them as opposed to lifting up Jesus. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself. We have the same thing going on in the church today. Look at this. They, 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 They love to go around dressed They love greetings, the best seats, the best places. They they have PhDs, permanent head damage behind them. They want those titles. They want want to be noticed as somebody as important. Listen to me. Listen clearly. You can't take God's glory. You can't steal God's glory. And pretense, listen to what it means. An outward showing, it's a cloak. It's just a game. It's just pretense. And what they would actually do is that when, when, when the husband would die, they would take the widow and they would pretend like they're helping them deal with their estate and take care of things. And then they would convince them that all of it should be given to them. And they would use it for God's glory and you'll be remembered and it'll be great. And there's lots of stuff like that going on in the church today. And we act like God's broke. And then we build big fancy buildings. And we continue to do these things. And it's all pretense. It's all religion. It has nothing to do with loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving your neighbor loving your neighbor as yourself. Is that what you would want to do? That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. You give them forgiveness. You give them mercy. You give them grace. You serve them and help them because that's what you really want for yourself. You want forgiveness. You want grace. You want mercy. None of us got up this morning and said, God, just judge me. Just cast your fire down on me. But we would do that to our neighbor. If they blow their leaves into our yard, if they 
kick our dog or yell at it or throw rocks at it when it gets out into their property. We would be so mad at them. Instead of being concerned about their eternal salvation, we'll hold grudges against them. Instead of giving them mercy and grace and forgiveness, our God sits on a throne of grace. And you and I should be coming to it moment by moment and day by day and longing to be like Him and show that love to others. And that's what He wants from us that are in His family. He doesn't want us running around trying to promote ourselves, to desire to, to have nice clothes and, and want people to see us and notice us and, and give us these great greetings like we have PhDs and, and all of these doctorates. We don't have to set up front. We don't have to be the one in the best seats and the best places. When your heart is that selfish, that's what you do. You begin to take advantage of people. You begin to tell them that we're doing a bill-burning party. Send your, send your money to us and burn your bills. God doesn't want you paying all those bills. He wants you to send your money to us. He doesn't want you broke. As one pastor teaches on TV, tear the corner of your $100 bill off and put it in your house to grow and send me the, dollar, send me the $100. Those are little seeds when you plant the corner of a... If that really works, then why don't we just send them the corner and we'll keep the $100 bill? You can grow it, Pastor. There you go. You got more faith than me. It's absolutely absurd, and yet you have thousands and thousands of people across this land who refuse to draw near to God, refuse to love Him with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, refuse to believe the Scriptures, and they listen to these charlatans and allow them to build great big kingdoms here on earth and make pretense like they're special. And theirs is the greater damnation. Crema, it comes from the word crino, judgment. God will judge them. When we pretend and we play games and we act like and we want to be noticed by man instead of by God, go read Proverbs. I was going to read it to you, but we're out of time. Proverbs chapter 3, 1 through 10. You want to be noticed. You want to be in the sight of God, then man. And that's the whole thing here. These wanted to be noticed in front of man and we're putting God on a back burner. It has to be God first. And if God is first, you'll be concerned about others. And when you're concerned about others, you'll grow in your faith. But as long as all you're concerned about is your own heart, you will keep dying. You will die. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to look into your royal law, look into the perfect law of liberty, into that mirror of your word. Give us a desire to be in the word, prayer, and fellowship and to see, see ourselves, Lord. And that would humble us. That would bring us low so that you can lift us up when we see truly that none of us deserve grace. None of us. That you're the one that's supposed to be lifted up. You're the one that's supposed to be made great. And if you be lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. Lord, help us to understand how to humble ourselves and allow you to be high and lifted up. Pour out your spirit, Lord. Bring salvation to souls. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. 
If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I